Thank you for checking out the Collective Church podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Easter Sunday is right around the corner, and we would love for you to make plans to be at Collective that day. It's going to be an amazing Sunday, so mark your calendars for April 9th. You won't want to miss it. For more information, make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Right after college, I got hired as a creative arts resident at a church plant called Momentum Christian Church up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I realized that I've never shared this with you all before, but this was the church that was responsible for a viral Christian parody song called Baby Got Book. Have any of you heard of that before? You're aging yourself. You're probably in your mid-30s if you've heard of that. Um, If you haven't heard the song, good news, we're going to play it for you right now so you can hear it. Oh, this is real, by the way. Becky, um, it is parody. Bible, it is so cute. She looks like one of those preacher guys' girlfriend. But who understands those preacher guys anyway? They only talk to her because she looks like Mother Teresa. Okay. This was my boss. Yeah, it's cute. Gross. She just looks so righteous. I like big bubbles, and I cannot lie. You Christian bubbles can't. Then when a girl walks in with a KJV and a bookmark in Proverbs, you get stoked. Got a name in Grace, you know this girl. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's going to be stuck in your head all day. It's on Spotify. I don't know. The dude did our wedding. Uh, there's a lot you don't know about me. I was not in the video, uh, but that is the church that I worked at when I was in Cleveland. Um, and this doesn't have anything to do with what I'm preaching about today. It just gives you a little bit of context. Uh, so after college, we, we went up there, and I worked in creative arts. We did, we did video uh, for them. But one of the winters that we were there, we, we did a staff retreat, and we went to Toledo, Ohio, Uh, to kind of step out of the day-to-day to to try to wrestle with what was going on in that church. And the first night we were there, we spent a few hours working through the church's finances and budget. And as you can assume, it was just an incredibly stressful conversation. Financially, the church was not quite where it needed to be. And so we had to make some tough calls about what we could and couldn't do the next year. But at the end of the night, we all kind of felt that consensus, felt pretty good about the direction we were heading in. Or at least I thought we all felt that way. Around 1 a.m., while everyone was fast asleep, one of the staff members named James started to talk in his sleep. And this was normal for James. I'd done some conferences with him in the past, and so every single night there was some sort of conversation that he was having, I think, with himself in his dreams. Uh, But this night was a little bit different because instead of talking, he started by laughing uncontrollably like loud, cackling-type laugh for a few minutes, uh, and then that changed to weeping. He just started weeping in the middle uh, of his sleep. It was this roller coaster of emotion as we watched him go through this. But then he started to yell something uh, that kind of got us all woken up. He said, we don't have enough room in the budget. We just don't. We don't have enough room, followed by more laughing and more crying. <laughs> He's a conflicted guy. Uh, so today is the last Sunday in our series called I Heart, and this series has been about giving and generosity and the impact that it has on our hearts and our faith. Uh, because as much as we'd like to think money is a neutral topic, it's not. 
It is not neutral. It is heavy and it is burdensome and it dictates so much of our lives and we can't even get away from it in our dreams. Did you know that most divorces blame money as the primary factor? We know underneath of that is humility and communication and past pain that hasn't been dealt with, but money is what brings it out. Did you know that debt is linked to higher rates of suicide and depression? And did you know a recent poll of Americans of all ages, all ages, including middle schoolers and high schoolers, money is the number one cause of stress that we feel, even more than politics and work and family. Money is a big deal, and so we have to talk about it. And more importantly, we have to get it right. And the goal for this series has been that everyone here that follows Jesus would take a next step and they would grow in their giving. They grow in a way that further aligns our hearts with the things of God, with his desires and his will and his goals, right? And just to get this out of the way, there's three ways you can give out collective in person, on the app, or online, right? And if you are not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you, right? In fact, you can check out until the very end of this sermon when I have a different challenge for you. But if this is your church home, if you do say that you are a follower of Jesus, you can't trust God with your eternity, but not your finances. Right, let me say that again so that sinks in. If you say that you are a follower of Jesus, you can't trust God with your eternity, but not your finances. It's impossible. You can't separate these two things. The theme verse for this series is Matthew 6, when Jesus said this. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so Jesus doesn't say where your time is, that's where your heart will also be. Jesus doesn't say what you talk about the most, that's where your heart will also be. Jesus doesn't say where you want your heart to be, that is where your heart will be. He says where your treasure is, that is where your heart is going to be. Now there are a lot of Christian phrases that drive me nuts. Uh, Essentially anything that could be cross-stitched on a pillow, I don't like it. I don't want it in my house, I don't want to see it. Probably the one I hate the most is it's all part of God's plan, right? This is something we say to people when they're going through something and we don't actually know how to empathize. It's all part of God's plan. Another one that I cannot stand is God doesn't give you more than you can handle, right? And and I've talked about these in the past. We've done full sermon series on these and how they're not biblical and how they're incredibly misguided, right? This isn't a reality of God. But here's another one that gets to me. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. I hate when people say God knows my heart because people say that when they're trying to justify doing something that they know they're not supposed to do, right? It's like outwardly I'm doing something wrong, but it's okay because on the inside, God knows my heart. I can't control my actions, but you know, my intentions are, are something different, right? And usually this is how it goes. When someone is talking about why they aren't reading their Bible, they'll say, I'm busy, Right? I've, got, I've got work, I, I don't have any margin, I'm staying up late studying, I just don't have the time, but God knows my heart. When someone talks about why they aren't serving, they'll say, well, you know, I just have so much going on, it's hard to get up early, I just don't feel called to it, but God knows my heart. When somebody doesn't give, they say, I'm paying the loans back first, or we're saving up to buy a bigger house, or I'm just kind of used to living a certain lifestyle, and I don't really want to walk away from that, but God knows my heart. Right? And that sounds nice, but with money, that's where it falls apart. God knows exactly where our heart is by looking at where we put our money, because these two things are linked together, whether we want them to be or not. 
you want to know something about the inner workings of collective, um, we don't have anyone in this church that leads a team or a small group that doesn't give. There are no leaders in this church that lead other people who are not giving. Because you can tell me that your heart is for students, but if your giving doesn't show that, I know that it's not really true. You can tell me that your heart is for creating space for lost and broken people to bump into Jesus, but if your giving doesn't show that, I know it's not actually true. And you can tell me that your heart is for life-giving community or meeting the needs of our city or battling addiction or for marriages being restored or for better mental health, but if your giving doesn't show that, I know that it's not really true. And I've learned this by making mistakes as a pastor, by putting people in leadership who are not giving, that it doesn't matter how much says that they say their heart is for something, their heart will always follow their money. And that's not my wisdom, that is God's wisdom. And I'll push this a little bit further and make my staff feel uncomfortable this morning. I didn't share this a few weeks ago, and I should have. The staff in this church is expected to tithe, and they do. And I would never hire someone at Collective that doesn't give, right? And you can think that's strict, and I just don't care. I don't. It's because I know that if someone says, I want to give 45 plus hours a week because my heart is for what God is doing at Collective and doing in Frederick, but their money doesn't show that, it's just not true. Because where your treasure is, that is where your heart will also be. You know, one of the things that's true about sermon series on giving and generosity is by week three, people have already made a decision about whether or not they're going to take a next step, right? We're in week four. So what I know is most of you have already made this decision. You've decided, you've started, you haven't started, whatever it may be. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine this week who's a pastor, and I was telling him, hey, we're in week four of this giving series. He's like, cut it short. Like, don't, don't do it. But the thing is, in week one, I promised you guys that I would spend time telling you the reasons you shouldn't give. And so that's what I'm going to do today as we close things out in this series. I'm actually going to give you an out. And we're going to read part of a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, because in 2 Corinthians 9, he actually tells us the reasons we shouldn't give. And this is how it starts in verse 1. Paul says this, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. Here's some context for what we're reading. So this church in Corinth is a very generous church. Paul knows this. It's very likely that they have financially supported his own church planting ministry. But on top of that, they are taking up an offering in order to support the church in Jerusalem. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago and the differences between tithes and offerings. The members of this church are tithing. They're giving 10% to their home church, the church in Corinth. But they are also giving an offering above the tithe in support of ministry outside of their local context. And Paul says that they were eager to do this. They wanted to do this. This was their desire. But Paul continues... He says, I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. And so what happens is this church in Corinth is so generous that other churches hear about it, and it actually encourages and pushes them to start giving. Their own generosity in this church has inspired other churches. I think it's collective. I could say the same thing about you. I'm in a few pastor groups on Facebook, and just this week, someone posted about giving. 
And that, that, thing, that topic comes up probably every few months. Um, it's always the same question. It's always, hey, the giving in our church is going down. Is that what you guys are seeing as well? So this guy posted, and then he gave a few reasons why maybe it was happening. He said, hey, maybe the post office is still having issues delivering mail and checks are getting lost. I don't know who still sends checks, but, uh, you know, the second one was maybe the impact of the economy, right? It's, it's hitting people harder than we expected. He said, maybe because of the digital shift, people uh, aren't comfortable. They don't feel like online giving is safe. And a bunch of the other pastors said that they were seeing a drop in their giving as well. But like most things in this group, I I don't respond because I didn't have the heart to tell them that this is the most generous our church has ever been, that people at Collective are taking scripture seriously, that they're growing in their generosity, that they are prioritizing their faith. I could boast all day long about this church, and, and I do. And I share all the time with other people and other Christians and other pastors just how incredible you all are. Each week of this series, I've bragged about collecting what God is doing in and through the hearts of many of you. And so here's your weekly brag. Your ego uh, can inflate a little bit. That's okay. Uh, I had our finance team go back to the start of this year because I know a lot of people at the beginning of the year took next steps in giving, trying to have a different 2023 than 2022. And check this out. In the last 10 weeks, 33 different individuals and families have given for the first time. In the last 10 weeks, 18 individuals and families have set up recurring giving online. In the last three weeks, over a dozen people have increased their giving. Right? I'm so proud of this church. I'm proud of your hearts and your faith and your risk and your willingness to wrestle with the discomfort of this conversation. But the thing is, you should be proud as well. Right? You should be proud of the next steps that the people you are sitting next to are taking because it is inspiring. You all are the anomaly. I'm an outcast in most preacher groups because they're not experiencing the same things we are. It's boastworthy. Right? All right, now, enough with your egos. Let's keep reading. Paul continues. He says this in verse 3. He says, But I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. And so what's happening is that Paul's actually sending people ahead of him. He's going to visit this church at some point, but he's sending people ahead of them. He says, I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Now this is really interesting because Paul praises their generosity. He encourages them to continue to give. But then he says, I want to be really sure that you are ready. Like, like, you've told me you are ready, but are you sure? He says, I want this to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. What Paul is doing is he's making sure that they don't feel guilted into giving. He's making sure that it's coming from their heart, not out of obligation. And Paul does this because he's a good leader. Because Paul is a good leader, I want to follow his example, which is why we're talking about this today. I want to make sure that you don't feel forced guilted, or obligated to join in the generosity of the church, because that is not why you should give. The collective, this is a double check. If you are taking a next step in your giving, I want it to be a willing gift out of your trust in God and not one given grudgingly. And Paul says this in verse 6, he says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. 
In other words, you reap what you sow. And we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago. When we tithe, God opens up the floodgates of heaven. So when we're generous, it's a flood of blessing. But when we are not generous, it's barely a sprinkle. Then Paul, what he does next is he actually gives them the out. Like he gives them all the reasons he sh- they shouldn't give. He says in verse 7, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Again, commenting uh, and connecting, giving to our hearts. Right? And I think it's important that he doesn't say decide in your head because he knows that our heads are practical, but our hearts are where generosity comes from. Right? And so he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So let's break this down. Because right here, Paul gives three reasons why people shouldn't give to the church, why people shouldn't trust God with their money right now. Now, some of you, I know I've never taken notes in church before. You're probably gonna take these notes, and I get that. I'm not offended by that. But, but here's why you shouldn't give. Reason number one, if you are reluctant, don't give. Another translation says begrudgingly. This means if you are going to resent God, do not give. If you're going to hold it against him later, don't give. If giving brings you pain, right? not financial pain, because sacrifice always has this element of pain and tension until we become used to it. But if giving hurts you in some spiritual way, don't give. I know there are a lot of you who come to Collective and who have come to Collective after spending years at other churches, and you are reluctant to give because of your experience in those churches, right? Now, I've heard these ridiculous stories about churches in our county and in our state, uh, churches on the East Coast doing these massive giving campaigns and making promises that they didn't follow through on. And I know that many of you sacrificed above and beyond in those campaigns. And I know that those churches did not honor your generosity. Right? They did not do what they said they would do with that money. And lives were not changed and needs were not met. And I can imagine as I go through this series that that still stings a little bit, that there's a level of pain you feel when you think about giving again, that there's this level of fear that you're experiencing because you don't want to be hurt again. And I get that. But my hope and my prayer is that you see that collective is different. We are not your old church. This is why you are here. But if you have not healed from those previous experiences, I think Paul tells you not to give. Right? Not forever. He wants you to wrestle with that pain that you're feeling. But until that pain goes away and you can trust God again, he says, you shouldn't do this. If you're reluctant, don't do this. And God doesn't want us to give reluctantly. God doesn't want us to give unwilling gifts. God doesn't want us to give out of bitterness or out of cynicism or out of anger. So if that is how you feel, don't give. Right? And it's okay. You don't need to feel any way about it. You have an out. Here's the second reason that Paul says you shouldn't give. He says, if you feel pressured, don't give. Right? And I do think I need to point out that there's a difference between being pressured and being challenged. Right? Challenge comes with growth. Pressure comes with obligation and judgment. My freshman year of college in Johnson City, Tennessee, I started going to uh, one of the bigger churches in the area, and every Sunday they would take up an offering. And this is normal for most churches. We don't do that, but other churches do. And typically, there's this dedicated time in the worship service where they play some soft music underneath, and they try to encourage you, really guilt you into giving, right? They play this beautiful song, and you get feeling a certain way, and all of a sudden, the basket is right in front of you. And this church did that, right? And so every single Sunday I was at this church, I would get the bag, and I would just pass it 
to the next person because I was a broke college kid. I didn't have a job. I was already a few thousand dollars in credit card debt, which is a story for another time. But one Sunday after this offering was collected, instead of taking it back to some mysterious back room, they brought all of the offering onto the stage. And the preacher began to yell at us very loudly saying, I know you can do better than that. He said, some of you have been coming here for years and all you do is pass that back. Some of you know that you're going to pass it again. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to do offering all over again. The guy starts playing that soft music underneath. You're like, this is not the moment for that. But they pass the bags again. And you know what it feels like when you're in church and you feel like the preacher's talking just to you. I felt like he was talking just to me. And I felt shame and I felt guilt. And listen, I wasn't a math major. I'm a, I'm a pastoral ministry major. But I was very confident that 10% of the zero dollars that I was making was still zero. But I felt pressured. I felt so much pressure. And so as the bags came around, I grabbed the few dollars I had and I dropped them in the bag. And do you know what? That feeling of shame and guilt did not go away. And I look back on that moment now and I realize that I shouldn't have given, that I had every right to continue passing that bag down that rope because I was giving out of pressure. I wasn't giving because I wanted my heart to be aligned with the heart of what that church was doing. I did it because I was guilted into it. So if that is how you feel, don't give. Don't give. Here's the last reason you shouldn't give. You can't give cheerfully. Don't give. Have you ever been a part of something that has mandatory generosity? Not dues, but you like have to give as a part of it. Some churches require that. Or have you ever been a part of mandatory community service? Um, I know some of you have had mandatory community service for other types of reasons. <laughs> I have also had mandatory community service for other types of reasons. But when I was in college, I had a student leadership scholarship, and one of the obligations uh, for receiving the scholarship was that we had to do community service on campus. We didn't get to choose where we did it. We didn't get to choose when we did it. They picked the time and place. And I remember serving at this event that we were obligated to serve at, and I was so resentful. I hated it. I didn't like the fact that I was obligated. I didn't like the fact that my scholarship was tied to it. Because right, it's not really a scholarship and it's not really community service. It's, it's a job at that point. But I didn't have a choice, and so I couldn't serve cheerfully, even though it was a great organization. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. If you cannot give joyfully, if you cannot give out of faith in Jesus, if you cannot give out of your own peace, if you do not feel like this is your own choice, if you feel pressured and obligated and guilted or bait and switched, you should not give. Right? Do not give. If you're just thinking about your finances and whether you should give, but your heart isn't for what God is doing in this church, you shouldn't give. If you don't feel like you have to show your love because you think it's all about how you feel on the inside, don't give. If you feel forced, don't do it. Because giving is a choice. It's an opportunity for us to trust God. It's an opportunity for us to feel uncomfortable. It's an opportunity for us to take a risk. But nobody can make you do it. Nobody should make you do it. But here's the thing. If you do give, you are going to change the world. You are. I want to do something as we start to close out today. And I've never done this before at Collective, but I've wrestled with this over the years. Um, But I felt God pushing uh, us to do this today. 
Um, if you have been baptized in this church specifically, right? If you've been baptized at Collective, will you stand up for a moment? I'm not gonna make you do anything, I promise. Just, just stand up. All right, you guys can sit down. Here's the thing. I'm going to do another one of those. And I want to say this first. Do not do this out of pressure or obligation. Don't get caught up in this moment, okay? You do this if this is true and only true. Um, But will you stand up if you feel like your self-worth, the way that you view yourself has been positively impacted because of what God is doing in this church. Your confidence, your joy, your peace has grown. Will you stand up? All right, you can take a seat. Here's another one. Will you stand up if your marriage has been positively impacted because of what God is doing in this church? All right, go ahead and grab a seat. One more. Stand up if your faith has grown, been restored, or simply even started to exist because of what God is doing in this church. Thank you. You guys can take a seat. Now, here's what I want you to do, everybody. I want you to look around this auditorium for a second. Because, because here's what I see. And, and I know, like, you guys don't get the same view as I do. What you do is you see me in the back of other people's heads, right, on a Sunday. But, but I get to look right at you guys, and I see the lives that God is changing, I get to see the lives that God is impacting. I get to see that God is bringing healing and hope and grace into so many people's lives. But here's what else that I get to see every single week when I'm preaching. I get to see room for more, right? I see the empty seat over there, right? And I see a little bit of a row over there. I see space in the back where we could add more chairs. We could squeeze some more things in there. Honestly, I think every single week I look at these walls and think we could knock these down and we could easily put more 100, 100 more seats into this place, Because this isn't just about what God has done, it's about what God can do. And there are people in this city who are hurting. There are marriages that are falling apart. There are people who are lonely and lost without any sort of community or friends. People without hope. There are people who are going through terrible things and they think they're the only person going through it. And what they don't understand is that this room is full of people who say, I've been there. I felt that. I'm going through that right now. There are people who think that their mistakes are their identity, and they have no idea the freedom that Jesus offers. Honestly, there are people in our city right now that are desperate for heaven. They might not know that that's what they're desperate for, but that's what they're longing and yearning for. They are desperate for heaven, but they don't understand that heaven only comes through faith in Jesus. And so while we celebrate what God has done, and we do that all the time at Collective, God has done great things in this church, and he'll continue to do great things in church. The thing is that we should feel this burden that we want more people to experience that. And the truth is, when we are generous, we create more space for that to happen, for more hope and more peace and more grace and more life. And that's where the joy comes from that Paul is talking about. Right? We don't feel joy because we have less money. That never feels good. Right? We don't feel joy because we have to say no to some things. Or maybe we have to say no to some things our kids want. We don't feel joy because we have to say no to those upgrades or that vacation or a house that has more bedrooms. We feel joy knowing that somehow we, this incredibly misfit, lost and broken group of people, 
get to play a small part in lives and eternities that are changed forever. We feel joy because we know that God has made and is making us new, and he's not done yet. We feel joy knowing that God's going to do something big, bigger than what we could ever do with our generosity. You know, every July, I take a preaching break. This July, I'll do the same thing. I'll disappear for a few weeks. I'll come back eventually. You'll be okay. But one of the things I do during that month is I work on the sermon series for the next year. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love writing sermon series. I love you know, thinking about ways to bring uh, you know, grace and truth to you guys in fun and creative ways that makes you think. And so last summer, I was planning out this year. And to be honest, I was really pumped, pumped about the series that we're going to do next. I'm not going to tell you about it. You've got to come back next week to see it. You know, I'm pumped about the series we're doing after Easter. But as I'm planning this thing out, I feel God clearly telling me that we need to do a series on giving. And I am not a super spiritual person. I'm not. I'm not a feelings person, okay? Like I'm a head person. And so my brain is telling me, God, we don't need to do a giving series. So I begin to do what I always do when God tells me to do something I don't want to do. I start arguing with him. I do this really well. And so I feel God pushing us. I'm just like, no. I begin to tell God all the reasons why we shouldn't do this series. And I tell him, financially, collective's good. We can pay our bills. We have no debt. Like we're in this healthy place. God, I, I don't want to do this. You know, I tell them, collective's growing. There's new people coming every single week. And what's the one thing a new person doesn't want to talk about? Giving. Oh my God, you're going to ruin this for us. They're never going to come back. You know, honestly, I begin to tell him, like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I have a really conflicted relationship with money. I always have, and I think I always will. And so I tell him, I don't want to do this. I give him all the reasons. But God doesn't relent. And for whatever reason, he wouldn't take this burden off of me. But over the past few weeks, as I've seen the generosity of this church grow, right, as I've seen two of the highest attended Sundays in the history of our church, as I've heard countless stories of what God is doing in the lives of so many of you, I've become uniquely aware that this series isn't about right here and right now. It's just not. And I can't help but think that God knows something we don't. And I believe that something is big. And I believe that something is more. More people, more space, more kids, more baptisms, more opportunities to seek and save the lost, more opportunities to change the world. And so while this series feels big right now, right, and the discomfort you are feeling right now feels really big and really heavy, and the challenge to give, right, feels like a weight that you don't want to feel, and maybe you feel a little frustrated or uncomfortable, I think a year from now this will feel small compared to what God is doing in our lives and in this church, you know, in just a few moments, uh, we're going to sing a song called As You Find Me, and we're going to celebrate two baptisms today. Um, and this is one of the, my favorite songs that we do, and I, and I love the entire song, but I especially love the bridge. The bridge goes like this. It says, if you want my heart, I won't second guess, because I need your love more than anything. In just a few moments, you're going to continue singing, and it says, I'm in, I'm yours. Your love's too good to leave me here. Your love's too good to leave me. And here's the thing, more than anything, and really what the series is all about is that Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart and everything that comes with it. He wants your joy and your pain. He wants your peace and he wants your suffering. He wants your present and he wants your future. That's what Jesus wants. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's your challenge. 
Your challenge isn't to give, it's to lean into that. Right? It's to let go of all the things you're trying to control and finally trust him. It's to put your faith in Jesus. It's to get baptized. It's to finally let Jesus grab a hold of your heart and do the things he wants to do in your life. To receive the things he wants you to receive. Because more than anything, right, the reason why this matters is because Jesus wants to be a part of our lives. He wants us to experience his goodness and his grace, his endless second chances. Right? And for many of you, he wants you to get to a place where one day you can stand up and say, Jesus, my worth comes from you. He wants you to get to a place where you can stand up and say, Jesus, my marriage is healing because of you. Jesus, you've broken the chains that have had me in bondage for years. Jesus, my life has changed forever because of you. Right? And this starts with us. It starts with our trust and it starts with our faith. More importantly, it starts with our hearts. Let's pray. God, as we, we finish up this series and you know, we feel the discomfort of it. God, we, we feel uncomfortable talking about money or giving or generosity or, you know, whatever it may be. And God, as we sit in this place, um, God, I pray that we recognize that the thing that you're after isn't, isn't our money, it's our hearts. And God, you know that it gets tied up in our money and, and oftentimes we choose that over you. So God, as we, we end this series, um, I just pray that Every single person that calls collective their church either leans in or leans out. God, that they don't stay in this middle place of, uh, I don't want to give or I can't give or I feel guilted or pressure, whatever it may be, God. I, I pray that people either say, I want my heart to be the, for the things that your heart is for, or they say, hey, I'm reluctant. I feel pressured. I, I can't give cheerfully. And they say no. But God, my prayer is that nobody stays in that middle place. God, above everything else, uh, my prayer is that more and more people get to experience uh, your love for them. God, that more and more people uh, say, I'm in, I'm yours. God, if you want my heart, you can have it. God, that the city and this church and marriages and families, mental health, emotional health, all of those things are never the same because of a church called Collective that you pushed and, and really guided uh, to change the world. God, we're thankful for the way that you love us. We're thankful that even in our pain and our brokenness, even in our sin, you want uh, us to be a part of a relationship with you. God, we thank you and love you and pray this in your name. Amen.